But if you're joining us for the first time or if you're back after being away for a while, we are just wrapping up a study in the book of Romans that we started a year ago. And uh, today we are in Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 14. Where are we at? We're in Romans 13 today. Uh, I've been working ahead, so I'm a, I'm a little confused. Uh, but uh, we, we're calling this message series Transformers. The first half of the book of Romans up until chapter 11 is all about the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. And then starting in Romans chapter 12, we learn what we're supposed to do with this wonderful truth that we have been transformed by the sacrifice of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about how we become transformers and change things in our world uh, by the power of love. And as you came in, I hope you got one of those bookmarks. Everybody get a bookmark, grab that, would you, if you still have it with you? Uh, And on the back of of that bookmark is is a phrase that I hope you're remembering. We've been saying it most Sundays. It says, I am transformed by love. Now I transform the world with love. You see that? Are you with me? We are transformers. Okay, say it with me, would you? Transformed by love, transforming the world with love. We are transformers. So that's what we're talking about. And today we're going to be talking about uh, transforming the world with love. Today is all about the law of love. Now, a few years ago on the 4th of July, my in-laws were visiting Uh, with Chris and me, and it was the last 4th of July that we did a big event in Belgrade that we called Free Love. How many of you remember Free Love? Okay. It was really a lot of fun, and we just gave away food. We gave away popcorn. Shoney was in charge of the cotton candy machine year after year. Uh, We did a big fireworks display, live music. It was a great event that we did uh, as an outreach to our community for many years. And on this particular 4th of July, my in-laws were with us. They had been visiting for about a week, and they helped us work this free love event, and uh, we came home well after midnight after cleaning up the River Rock Community Center. How many of you remember cleaning up after that event? Yes. A lot of work. We were exhausted. I think it was about one o'clock in the morning when we got home, and Chris and I had a brand new puppy. His name is Sammy. And... uh, Little Sammy, we had only had him for about two weeks. We were working on potty training. You know what it's like to potty train a puppy, okay? And, uh, and Sammy had become just terrified of the fireworks. Anybody else ever tried to potty train a dog during 4th of July time period? The worst time, you know? So we would take him outside. It, it, it was happening, you know, on a daily basis during this time. We'd take him outside, try to get him to go potty, and as soon as a firecracker would go off, he would scurry up into my legs and would want me to hold him and comfort him because he was afraid. And so uh, this had been going on, and we didn't want him to potty in his kennel in the night. We just wanted to go to bed. We're exhausted. We're cranky. And, uh, and our neighbors right across the street at 1 o'clock in the morning were doing their own pyrotechnic show. And uh, so I grabbed Sammy, and I, I, I was trying to get him to go potty, and, and all of this noise was going on, and I just broke my microphone. There we go. 
and and uh, and he wouldn't go because of all this noise across the street. And my my mother in law was aware that the ordinances in Bozeman are that after midnight you can't shoot off any more fireworks. So my mother in law says, Russell, just call the police. Just call the police. Get the police here to to shut them down. And I'm like, Judy, I'm not calling the police on my neighbors, right? Um, and and she's like, just call the police. Give me my phone, Tito. Give me my phone. I'm calling the police. And I'm like, no, don't do that. I said, I, I said, settle down. I'm going to go across the street and talk to my neighbors and see what will happen. And she's like, just give it to them, Russell. Just tell them they're breaking the law. So I decided to take a little bit different tack. And I, I went across the street and I said, listen, we've got a new puppy. He won't go potty when the fireworks are going off. Would you give me a 15-minute break? Just shut it down for 15 minutes. Then we'll go to bed. We'll put him in his kennel. You can go back to your fireworks displays. They're like, oh, we don't mind at all. We need more beer anyway. And they're heading back on. (laughs) So that night I made friends with my neighbors, and they were... They were really, really kind. But my mother-in-law, man, she just wanted to lay down the law, you know? And, and that's kind of her, her personality anyway. And, and I just wonder, how many of you, uh, just based upon kind of how you're wired, what, what choice would you make? How many of you would call the police on your neighbors shooting off fireworks? Okay. Um, some of you, yeah. How many of you would go across and talk with them? How many of you would put earplugs in and go to sleep and let the dog pee in the kennel? All right, there you go. <laughs> What'd you say, Bill? How many would join them? All right, yeah. We won't take a show of hands there. Uh, today, as we, as we work through Romans chapter 13 together, uh, I, I hope that I will be able to share with you a strategy for addressing situations like this in lots and lots of different uh, situations in your life. And we're going to be talking about a principle that is critical for us to understand, and it's called the law of love, the law of love. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn to Romans 13. Many of the scriptures will be up on the screen today. Some will not, so you might want to have your Bible handy. We also have notes up here on the stage. There's notes back there at the Welcome Center if you haven't gotten any, and uh, I love it if you take notes so that you can remember what you've learned today. So we're going to start Romans 13. We're going to start reading right at verse 8 if you want to follow along with me. And here's what, uh, what we read from the Apostle Paul. He says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What an interesting verse. He goes on to say, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, you shall love your neighbor as yourself? Just go ahead and say that. Everything is summed up in this one commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he sums up this paragraph this way. He says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And today, I want to start by talking about the law of love and defining it for you. There's two things you need to know about the law of love. The first one is that love is what we owe one another. Love is what we owe 
one another. Isn't that interesting? Paul starts this whole paragraph by saying, you shouldn't owe debts to anybody, but you should owe a debt of love to people. I think that's fascinating. Who do you think, who do you think put the first payment out there that we need to repay? What's he talking about? Where's, where's love come from? comes from God. It's been expressed through Jesus. And we can never repay God for the love that he's given us. We can never repay Jesus for the sacrifice that he made. And so what he's saying is the debt that you have to pay back, you're going to pay back to your neighbor. We owe one another a debt of love. But then secondly, what you need to know is that love fulfills all of God's laws. Love fulfills all all of God's laws. It doesn't matter what you read in the Bible, the rules, the regulations, all the Old Testament stuff. What Paul is putting out there here is that if you will just love people well, you're going to fulfill all the laws in the scriptures. Loving people well is the sum total of everything that we read in the Bible. Verse 9, if you paid attention, verse 9 is positive. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10 is negative. Love does no wrong to another person. And so positive and negative together really describes how God's, uh, that, that our love fulfills all of God's laws. And you might be familiar with the golden rule. Do you remember what the golden rule says? <laughs> but what is the golden rule, Stan? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And this really kind of sounds like the golden rule. Uh, Jesus used the golden rule. Many other cultures in the world talk about uh, the golden rule. But the law of love is what we as Christians are called to live by. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now the next logical question is who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And you might remember that uh, in the Gospels, we read about uh, a lawyer coming to Jesus, a lawyer of all people, comes to Jesus, and uh, he wants to know who his neighbor is. Why? Because he wants to know the technicality of the law. He wants to know where the line is drawn. He wants to know who's my neighbor, who isn't my neighbor. If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, how do I define that? And really what he was doing is he was looking for a loophole. And so he came to Jesus and he said, who's my neighbor? And uh, if you remember, Jesus told a story. We call them parables. And when Jesus told these parables, they usually had some sort of a shock value. And if you've got your Bible with you, you might want to turn to Luke chapter 10 and follow along. We're going to start reading at verse 25. This is, this is what we read. A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test saying, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to this lawyer, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desired to justify himself. He was looking for a loophole. And so he said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Now, I'm going to tell this story as Jesus might have told it to 21st century Americans. Whenever Jesus told parables, it always had some sort of a shock value. 
And Jesus told this parable that we've come to know as the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard it before. In fact, it was interesting. Uh, in the paper, I think it was yesterday or the day before, uh, the, the Bozeman Daily Chronicle reported about somebody who fell up on the M. He was hiking the M and he fell and he was unconscious. And the Chronicle said two Good Samaritans came and helped revive him and get help for him on the mountain. And they called him Good Samaritans. Um, but that word has become so normal in our culture that we think a good Samaritan is just anybody that does something nice. But in Jesus' culture, it was something different. Samaritans were people who lived in another culture that worshipped a different God than the Jews, and Jews hated Samaritans. In fact, they didn't think that good Samaritans existed because Samaritans were evil people. So if Jesus was going to tell this story to us today, he'd probably say something like this. There was a guy traveling from Bozeman to Missoula, and he picked up a hijacker. And the hijacker, the hi- he picked up a hitchhiker. Thank you. <laughs> that was real weird. Picked up a hitchhiker, and the hitchhiker carjacked him. The hitchhiker carjacked him, robbed him, held him at gunpoint, beat him, bloodied him up, and then he dumped him out in a, in a park that was popular with fitness enthusiasts. So here's this guy, semi-conscious, laying on the pavement, and people start jogging by. And by chance, a Republican was the first one that jogged by. <laughs> And the Republican saw this, this beaten and bruised man and the Republican said to himself, if the government would just lower our taxes, this pathetic man could get a job and better himself. And he kept jogging by. Shortly after that, a Democrat jogged by and the Democrat saw this man and the Democrat said to herself, this is why we need more government services. Someone needs to help pull this man out of his misery. And she kept running. Shortly after that, a vegan jogged by. (laughs) The vegan saw the collapsed man and said to himself, if that man would just eat healthier food, he wouldn't have collapsed during his jog. (laughs) And then finally, this woman came by. Do you know what this woman did? She stooped down. She helped the man to his feet. She took him to a nearby hotel and paid the bill for three days and arranged meals for him. And she even left plenty of space on her credit card that she left with the hotel manager so that if there were any more expenses, he would be well taken care of. Now we'll pick up with Jesus' words in verse 36 if you're following along. Jesus said this, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy. It's interesting that this man couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He said the one who showed mercy was the neighbor. Couldn't even say the word. 
And Jesus said to him, now you go and do likewise. So what do we learn from this parable? Well, we learn that a neighbor shows mercy to someone who is in need. The lawyer even figured that out. And we learn that Jesus said, you should do this. If you really want to fulfill the law, you should be somebody who shows mercy to people who are in need. So if you're taking notes this morning, there's a question in your notes. Who is my neighbor? And the answer is this. Anyone who is in need is your neighbor. So to circle back to Romans 13, this is, this is our big idea for the day. I owe a debt of love. I owe a debt of love to anyone who is in need. I want you to see a video that will illustrate this principle very beautifully. Take a look at this. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is asked the question, which is the greatest commandment? He answered, love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And the second is life. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then again, at the Last Supper, he says the same thing, but with a twist. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This time, Jesus replaced your neighbor with one another. This new love that Christ commands of us goes much deeper than the Old Testament commandment he was quoting in that. The people we have been commanded to love has expanded beyond our neighborhoods to include, well, everyone. And this includes people who might make this commandment a bit difficult. Like that confrontational coworker who just seems impossible to get along with. Or your in-laws who've never treated you like a part of the family. Or maybe the person you just met, who you don't even know, and really needs some help. You see, Jesus knew his physical time on earth was nearing an end. So in this new take on the old commandment, Jesus also made another change. The words, as yourself, became, as I have loved you. Wow, that's a tough act to follow. Christ's sacrificial life provides a clear and concrete example of real and true love. And he put this love on display on a daily basis with his disciples. He was patient with them, speaking kindly and showing great concern for their welfare. He instructed, counseled, and comforted them, prayed with them and for them. He admonished them for wrongdoing and yet compassionately bore with their failings. And most of all, he gave his life, dying so that they and we According to Jesus, this is how others will know that you are one of his followers. Not because you have a shirt or a bumper sticker that says so. Not because we announce it from a stage or a blog or a status update. But because they look at you, at how you live, the things you do and say, and they see Jesus. They see love. Isn't that good? Okay, let's wrap up Romans chapter 13. Let's keep reading in verse 11. 
Paul says, besides this, besides this law of love that we're to live by, you know that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, in this last paragraph of this chapter, we read four commands, and I want to quickly uh, summarize these four commands for you. The first one is this. Paul says, wake up because Jesus is coming. Wake up. He says, salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. In other words, when you got saved, when you put your faith in Jesus, it, it was awesome, but now you're closer to the return of Jesus. He's coming soon. And, and uh, we've been hearing a lot about this on Christian TV. And in, I don't know if you belong to any of the, the blogs and stuff that people are writing. But, but more and more people are saying, listen, we've got to wake up. Jesus is coming soon. And this is what Paul was saying to people 2,000 years ago. It's, it's coming quickly. And as believers, we're, we're called to live in an awareness that Jesus is coming soon. And so he goes on and he says three other commands. The first one is this. He says, cast off the works of darkness. Cast off the works of darkness. And if you're taking notes on on your note card this morning, what I'd like you to do is go back up to the text that's printed out and circle the words that describe the works of darkness. He says the things we're supposed to get rid of out of our lives are orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality, sensuality. And if you don't know what the word sensuality means, that just means living for the pleasure of the senses. It can mean a whole lot of things. It just means that my life's focus is on making my body feel good, whatever that might be. Um, I've talked a lot the last eight months or so uh, about being on Weight Watchers. And Chris and I both have been Weight Watchers members since January. And one of the things I'm learning is that every meal isn't designed for me to just feast to make myself feel good and and have pleasure. I'm learning that sometimes I just need to fuel my body. And I'm learning to think about food differently. Food is fuel. And once in a while you have birthday cake and that's a celebration. But every meal isn't birthday cake, okay? (laughs) And, uh, and, and so I'm learning that everything isn't about my senses to make me happy. And that can apply to any number of things. Uh, quarreling, that's the next one you can circle in that list. Jealousy. These are the works of darkness that Paul says, get rid of these out of your lives. And I think it's really significant that Paul addresses sexual immorality right after he tells us to live by the law of love. Okay, it's really significant. Why? Because, listen to me carefully, sex and love are not the same thing. Okay? 
And a lot of times we get confused by that. And the voices in our world are saying, if you love somebody, then your sexual behavior doesn't matter. Paul's not saying that. He says, love fulfills the law, but sex and love aren't the same thing. So wake up, Jesus is coming. Cast off the works of darkness. Number three, wear the proper clothing. Paul tells us to clothe ourselves in the armor of light and clothe yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. In our text that's up on the middle screen, he says, put on. Literally in the Greek language, he's saying, put on these as clothing. Have you ever thought that maybe Jesus can be the clothing you wear? Okay, that's why I look so good today as I'm wearing Jesus. I'm just saying that because everybody's making big remarks about me wearing a suit coat, you know, like, I don't know. I'm wearing Jesus. Okay, number four. Number four, don't live to gratify your own desires. That's the last thing he says in this chapter. Don't live to gratify your own desires. Listen, he's saying live to meet the needs of your neighbor. The law of love changes what we live for. This morning when we were praying, our prayer team was praying about something very specifically. Somebody in our prayer team prayed this. Listen to me carefully. They said, God, change us so that when we come to church, we're not consumers trying to make a withdrawal. Changes so that we come to church to make a deposit in other people. That's the law of love. We didn't come to gratify our own desires. We came to see whose needs we could meet. That's the law of love. Let me wrap this up by reading this paragraph from the message version. I don't know if you ever read the message, but sometimes this author just nails it. And it's not up on the screen, so just listen to me says this, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-to-day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off, oblivious to God. The night is about over, dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute. We must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, in sleeping around and dissipation, in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. Isn't that great? That's what we're called to do if we're living by the law of love. So now let's connect these last two paragraphs from Romans chapter 13 and let me give you three summary statements before we uh, move into a time of prayer ministry. Three things that we need to remember. First of all, living by the law of love means I'm focused on the needs of others. Living by the law of love means I'm focused on the needs of others. Number two, living by the law of love means I'm not gratifying my own desires and calling it love. Or if I could even say that in a simpler way, love is not an excuse for sexual sin. And thirdly, living by the law of love 
means I will transform my world with love. In other words, transformation isn't just for me. If I've been transformed, I become a transformer. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a transformer. You're a transformer. Now go and transform your world. All right. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And I want to ask the Lord to do a supernatural work in our hearts this morning. Jesus, many, many of us in this room have been transformed by salvation, by justification, by redemption, by forgiveness. You've transformed us. And Jesus, today, I want to ask you to do a miracle in our lives today. And that miracle is that you will change the way we think so that we will no longer be focused on ourselves, but we will miraculously become focused on the needs of others. Jesus, will you help us to become transformers who love in such a radical way that Jesus, we will literally transform the people around us because we love so effectively. Change us, Jesus. Now I'm going to ask you to do something very brave this morning because I believe that sometimes if we really want change to happen in our lives, we have to do something. We have to literally move from here to there. And so I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm not going to ask you to move very far, but I'm going to ask you if you need Jesus to change you from a love consumer to a love giver, if you need him to miraculously change you, will you just move from a seated position to a standing position right where you are? Okay? I'm asking you if you're one of those people that that comes to church to make a withdrawal and you want to ask Jesus to change you to somebody that instead of making a withdrawal, makes a deposit. But that needs to happen supernaturally. Will you stand right where you are? Thank you. Thank you. And it's not just about church. It's probably in your workplace. You need to be focused less on yourself and focused on that annoying co-worker that's hard to love. If you need to change, maybe you need to stand. That video said maybe it's really loving those in-laws that never really welcome you to in the family and you've been carrying bitterness towards your in-laws. Maybe you need to stand. Now, prayer team members, would you, would you just go to the people that are standing? Would you lay hands on them and pray for a miracle of transformation 
in the way they think. And you might have to move from person to person. You don't have to spend a lot of time, but would you just begin to minister in prayer over them? And the rest of us are going to pray as well. If you're seated, would you just join me in praying for all these people that are standing this morning? Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for the confession that every person has made that is standing to their feet today. And Lord, I pray that their action of standing to their feet today will result in a real miracle that comes when we take steps of faith. I believe that many times, Lord, we have to step out and move out of our comfort zone in order to really see a miracle take place. And I want to pray today, Lord, for every person that made that move today that you will miraculously change their perspective. Jesus, that you will miraculously change the way they think. And when they walk out of here today, Lord, that focus will less and less be on themselves and more and more being on the person that they need to love. Lord, I pray that we will begin to see our coworkers differently, Lord. I pray that we will begin to see our family members differently, Lord. I pray that we will begin to see uh, strangers differently, Lord, that we will begin to see the needs people will have and we will see the unlimited resources that we possess because of Jesus and we will begin to give it away more and more and more. I pray, God, that you will cause us each to live in an abundance, Lord, that we'll no longer be hoarding our resources, hoarding our food, hoarding our money, hoarding our love, hoarding our kindness, and we will increasingly give it away because of the abundance that you have given us in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that no longer will we live in scarcity, but Jesus, we will be freely giving and giving and giving and meeting the needs of every person that we encounter. And Jesus, I thank you today for the miracle of transformation that you are continuing to do in every one of us. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.